Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, there was a, a redneck named Bubba, and, uh, and Bubba was with two of his buddies, and they were at this funeral, and they peered into the casket, and, and Bubba asked his friends this super heavy but super important question. He asked them, what do you want people to say about you when you're in this space? And I know that's a heavy question, but honestly, that's a probably a good question for us to wrestle with. And whatever you hope people say about you in that moment, what if you reverse engineered that to today? And how maybe you would live that life today and begin with the end in mind. But Bubba and his buddies are there and, and they're looking at this casket. And so Bubba's like, hey, boys, what, what do you hope they say about you in that moment? And this one buddy said, hey, uh, here's what I hope they say about me. I hope they say that in the midst of busyness, in the midst of the deadlines, in the midst of the appointments, in the midst of the calendar invites, I made time for those who were most important to me. Uh, I created space for my family in the midst of the hustle of life and and Bubba's friend will say, hey, boy, you better start living that out right now if you want them to say it about you then. And this other, other friend said, said, what about you? And he said, well, man, here's what I hope is true of me. He said, man, I hope, I hope it's true of me that I lived a life of generosity. And man, I don't make a whole lot of money, but, but I hope I invest my money in kingdom areas. Uh, not just to tithe. I hope I'm faithful to that and trust God in that area. But I hope I go above and beyond that so that generations to come will still be coming into the kingdom because of the way I invested my time and my money, my resources here on this earth. And they said, wow, that's awesome. You better start living that out now. And and they said, well, what about you, Bubba? He said, well, boys, let me tell you that there's an easy question. Whenever I stand there and I'm in that cask and they come up, they look at me. Here's what I hope they say about me. I hope they say, I can't believe it. Bubba's alive. He's alive. He's breathing. Can you believe it? There's something about death that's very strange, very awkward for us who are living. And whenever we come to Romans chapter 6, what we're jumping into today, Paul's going to make this statement. He's going to say, say, you are dead to sin. You're dead to it. What does that mean? If I'm dead to it, why do I still struggle with it? If I'm dead to it, why am I still tempted by it? If I'm dead to it, why do, it just creates this plethora of questions that begin to flood into our minds. And when we come to Romans 6, it's a very important chapter, not only in the book of Romans, but in the entire Bible and possibly one of the most misunderstood chapters in the entire Bible. So, so we're going to have to think deeply about what Paul's saying to us in Romans chapter 6. And as we gain understanding, I just believe it's going to have profound impact on our life, the way we live day to day. And I think a profound impact on the victory that we experience or we don't experience as we try to follow Jesus. And a lot of Christians, because they don't understand Romans chapter 6, because they don't understand what Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 6, they don't know how they should battle with sin, they don't know how they should process when they succumb to sin, and as a result, they feel like they're constantly starting over. They constantly wonder, like, am I really even right with God? To illustrate that, let's think about climbing a mountain. And if climbing a mountain is the Christian journey and, and one commits to really practice the ways of Jesus... And they, they start climbing this mountain, and they start gaining altitude. And they're really doing good. And the Christian walks, man, they're, they're thriving. They're, they're taking new ground. But then they, they slip, they fall, they, they succumb to sin, and, and they live life as if in that moment they fall all the way back to the base of the mountain. They have to start all over again. And I would just submit to you, if that's how you feel like your Christian life is, that, that's not a biblical worldview. 
That that's not, that's not a, a, a biblical-based understanding of your relationship with God and what happens whenever we do sin. I would suggest to you that in that moment, if you're climbing the mountain and if you do slip and fall, I would suggest that you're held by a scarlet cord called grace. And the old hymn that says this, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that's greater than, than all my sins. It trumps sins. It, it holds you. You're held in the hands of grace, and aren't you thankful for grace? Listen, God's grace is greater than all our sins. And when you and I understand what God has done, well, what happened in the moment that you submitted your life to Jesus, the moment of your salvation, it will radically, wonderfully change the way you walk with God and ultimately the way that you experience victory in God in profound ways. So understanding this chapter of Romans chapter 6 will empower you to walk in victory, maybe more than any other chapter in the entire Bible. So this is absolutely critical. And just to get us caught up to speed, some of you are new. We've been studying our way through this amazing book, the book of Romans. It's, a, it's kind of a, a deep dive, uh, deep into the pool type of book. We've been, been thinking deeply about, about some things. So just to bring us up to speed on where we've been, uh, Romans chapter 3 and 4, Paul talked to us about this, this idea of justification. Whenever we say someone's saved, it's kind of a fuzzy term, but when we think about justification, we actually have handles. We can actually grasp that a little bit, a little bit better. And this is the term that, that Paul uses over and over and over throughout the book of, of Romans. And so, so we've been working off this definition. Some of you, if you've been with us, you probably have this memorized by now. Uh, but justification is this. Justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sin and not only does he forgive them, but he credits to them. He assigns to them the righteousness of Christ when through faith they believe. So we could say, say three things happen the moment an individual is saved, the moment an individual is justified, the moment an individual commits and surrenders their life to Jesus. These three things happen. One, you're forgiven. And this is a profound truth. And if this is all God did for us, this would be enough, right? But he's forgiven your sins. All your mistakes, all the things that would be in the courts of heaven would be a case to condemn you there. Erased. The Bible would say this, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed your sin and transgressions from your life. Friends, that's good news. All that's yours, the moment of salvation. Past sins, present sins, future sins, forgiven. Wow. That's a shocking statement. But that's true. That's true. And not only that, but he, he assigns to you, he's credited to your account, not your righteousness, not your good deeds, but the righteous, the perfect righteousness of Christ is now credited to your account. When God sees you, he doesn't see all the mistakes that you've done. He doesn't see you as that. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You have that perfect righteousness. It's as if we're bankrupt, like beggars. If you've ever filed bankruptcy, it's, it's like this emotional feeling. You can't pay your debtors. You, you can't, you're just buried by debt, right? And nothing in my account, no way to pay it. That's a sinking feeling. And that's the reality of how all of us were spiritually. But God steps in. He doesn't just forgive our sins. He credits to our account. He dumps the perfect righteousness of Christ into your account. This limitless supply of righteousness now is yours. And all that's yours simply by faith when you believe. And that's good news, right? And this is critical for you to understand because when the enemy comes to condemn you, when the enemy comes and say, hey, Dan, let me tell you about what you did. Hey, you were climbing that mountain real good, but now you're back at the base because let me, let me just show you 
Let me just, hey, Keith, check this out. Hey, hey, let me, let me show you what you did, Dicey. Hey, then he comes with this, this list, this checklist, this scorecard to point out all your faults. And in that moment, you need to remember this. I've been forgiven, past, present, and future by Jesus. Thank you, God. Not only that, I've been justified. I, I now stand with before God boldly, confidently, not because of how good I am, but because of how good he is. I stand before God with the righteousness of Christ credited to my account. And I didn't have to earn it. it. I didn't have to take a test. I, it wasn't a pop quiz. It's mine through faith. When I believe, you got to take hold of it. It'll help you in your battle. And, and Paul talked to us about that in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4. And, and he talked about it a little bit in chapter 5 as well. So, so Romans chapter 3 talked about justification. This took place the moment you put your faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 6, where we're going today, and chapter 7, he's going to talk to us about this theological term called sanctification. And that's where you and I right here, right now, are trying to, to live as if Christ were in our place. We're trying to practice the ways of Jesus to where, where if people encounter us, it's like, man, there's something different about them. There's something very divine about them. They don't respond the way everyone else does. Man, what's, what is that? that? That's that sanctification. So justification took place in the past. Sanctification taking place right here, right now in the present. And there's going to be a glorification in the future where, where we, we get to worship a glorified Christ for a glorified eternity with glorified bodies. And it's going to be awesome. And Paul's going there in Romans chapter 8. And so back to bringing us back up to speed. So this is Romans chapter 3, chapter 4. Chapter 5, uh, Paul dives into this idea of original sin. How did sin enter our world? And if sin entered our world, what does that mean? What are the ramifications of that? One of the ramifications of that is, is death. People we love pass away. It's heartbreaking. Uh, the Yost families here, they've experienced that this week. Uh, Jerry passed away, longtime member here at Central, passed away on, on Monday. And the funeral is going to be this coming Monday, tomorrow at 2 p.m. if you guys want to come. But, but Jim, so good to see you here. Jim, all the way from Indonesia. Uh, Jerry's brother, Lori, Joe, we're praying for you guys. And so sorry. You guys have experienced this. And a very visual, very, very emotional, very, very painful reminder of the results of, of sin entering the world. Paul said this, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world, how did it enter the world? Through one man, Adam, the original, the, the first man. And as a result of, of him in, uh, sinning, giving into sin, it says sin entered, that we could translate that sin invaded, sin permeated. Sin, sin, sin isn't just whenever I make a mistake, sin's a force. Sin's a culture. Sin corrupts. Sin corrodes. It doesn't just corrode and corrupt humanity. It's corrupted and corroded our whole world. So when we see things like the earthquake that took place, over 40,000 people have died. Why? So we say, well, God, why is that? Well, Paul answers that, Romans 5, because sin entered the world through one man. And not only that, but now death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Look at this. He says, it, past tense. Not present tense, not only sinning now, but all people have sinned. And so in, in Adam, there's this idea of original sin. And because we were in Adam when he sinned, we sinned. Because the consequences of Adam's sin, there, there's consequences for us. The seeds of death are in us. And not only that, but it's important for us to get that. Because now Paul's going to say, just as we're in Christ, what's true, as what's true of Adam is now true of us, now what's true of Christ is now true true of us. That's where Paul 
is going next. But you would need to know that you were never intended to die. Death was not a part of the original created design. Death is a malfunction in our humanity. And so we all die. People die because of sin. But there's coming a day when God's going to set all this right. Not only for us as humans, but the whole world's going to be restored. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful reality. And Paul's going to talk about that more in Romans chapter 8. And so Paul's point in Romans chapter 5 is that just as certainty, we, we were in Adam and this happened. Now we're in Christ and this is true of us. We were, under, we were in Adam, we're under the reign of sin and the reign of death. We talked about this last week. Now if you're in Christ, you're under the reign of Christ, uh, under the reign of grace. And it's a beautiful beautiful thing. The reality is, the hard reality for us is there are two types of people in this world. There are those who are currently under the reign of sin with Satan as their leader and king. And there are those under the reign of grace with Jesus Christ as their king. There are those facing judgment because of sin. And there are those who, who are under this, are free from judgment because of, of grace. Two categories of people. And we talked about that that last week. And again, as we closed last week in Romans chapter 5, uh, grace isn't just something God did, it's something that God does. And it's just as sin was a force that permeated creation, now grace is a force working in our, in our, on our behalf. Just as sin brought about our condemnation, now grace is working for our justification. Here's what Paul says, Romans 5, 20 through 21. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but because sin increased, where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul's saying is that sin was really big, and sin, sin had devastating effects, but God's grace is even bigger. Just as sin was working out your damnation, now grace is working out your salvation. Just as sin brought about your destruction, now grace is bringing your justification and restoration. Sin brought condemnation, but now God, through grace, is working good into your life. And aren't you grateful for grace? So the people that Paul's writing to, he, he assumes that they're going to have some questions, just like some of you have questions. The thinking person, when you see justification, you think, well, man, if, if I've been forgiven past, present, and future sins, if, I, if I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ and, like, I don't have to earn right standing with God, like, the way I live my life, it doesn't, doesn't really give me right standing with God. If that's true, if, if where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more, if that's true, then why does it matter how I live? Then why don't I, isn't that just a f license to say, have had it, boys, like, you're off to the races. And Paul anticipates that question. He's going to answer it for us today and throughout the rest of chapter 6 and into chapter 7. So why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. Uh, we're going to dive into our text for today. There's going to be some red words on the screen. And when we get to those, if you could read those real loud, real proud for us, that would be super, super helpful. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism 
into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today profoundly through your word. That God, these, these challenging truths, God, you give us the capacity to grasp and understand that we might know victory in you. And that God, we might, might understand all that you've done for us at the moment of our salvation. So God, we just commit the rest of this service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five and say, you are dead to sin. Dead to sin. All right, so today we're gonna unpack some more layers of our understanding of what happened at salvation. Then we're going to just continue to build on that foundation throughout Romans chapter 6. And uh, it's going to impact the way you view sin. It's going to impact the way we interact with sin, understanding where the battle lines with sin uh, really are. So Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, what shall we say then? So in light of what we've been talking about, hey, if I'm no longer under the reign of sin, I'm under this reign of grace. If Satan's no longer my king and I'm not serving him, I'm serving Jesus. And, and like all is good because of what Jesus has done for me. If that's true, why not just keep on sinning? And, and so that's what Paul says. So what shall we say then? Are we continue in sin that grace may abound? Good question. Good question. Thanking people are asking that question. I mean, if grace abounds, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, what does it even matter? Well, 6.2, Romans 6.2 says, by no means. And in our English, this, is, this doesn't do justice to what Paul's saying. It's an emphatic no. By no means. It could literally be translated, God forbid. May such a thing never occur, is what Paul's saying. May, may, he interrupts that thought process and says, 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 away with that thought. That's unthinkable. In our modern day vernacular, we would say, heck no. No, we don't. We don't do that. Why? How is that possible? It goes on in Romans 6 2. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? If you're dead to something, how can you live in something? is what Paul is saying. Do you not realize as followers of Jesus, you died to sin so that you're, it doesn't say, it doesn't say you're dying to sin. It doesn't say you're trying to like crucify the flesh. He doesn't say, he said, no, you're dead to it. You're, you're dead to it. So how can you live in it? It's like this. It doesn't even compute in Paul's mind. And this is one of the greatest statements in Christian theology. One of the most important statements, I would say, of Christian theology. And Paul's going to repeat this thought throughout Romans chapter 6 several times. Look at this again, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. We've been, our old self died. When he died, we died with him. The old man's gone. We've been crucified with him. For the one who, who died has been set free from sin. So how can we live in it if we've been set free from it? Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. Again, we've died with Christ. It goes on. Here's another, another verse. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives, lives to God. Paul's continuing to draw on this illustration that, that what was true of Christ is now true of you. Just as you were in Adam, what was true of Adam is now was true of you. You were under the reign of sin and death because of original sin that Adam committed. But now you're under the reign of grace with Jesus as your king. So what's true of him is now true of you. I love this one. And here's a good question. So... You also must consider yourself dead to sin 
and alive to Christ Jesus. Do you consider yourself that way with sin? When you think about sin, do you consider yourself, when you interact with sin, when you, you, you commit a sin, do you, do you view sin in this way? Consider yourself dead to sin. A lot of Christians, we don't, one, we probably don't even know that verse. We, we really struggle. How do we even apply that verse? And you ask someone, hey, how are you doing with sin? They're going to say things like, well, bro, I'm, try, I'm trying. I'm trying. Well, Paul doesn't say you're tr- you should try really hard. He says, no, you should consider yourself dead to it. And it'll be hard for us to live this out if we don't know it to be true of us. If we still function like we're under this reign of sin and have to give into it at every turn, we don't understand that we're under this reign of grace where there's freedom from sin, where we're dead to sin, then we won't walk in that freedom. And that's what Paul's saying here. You must consider yourselves dead to sin. So we're dead to some things, but we're alive to Jesus Christ. We don't have to serve the old master anymore. We got a new king, a new regime. Romans 6.2, how can we, how can we, and it's implied here, like how can we be in who we are? How, how can we, knowing what we know, how could we, be, be, knowing what Jesus has done for us, how could we who died to sin continue to live in it? He says we're, we're dead to sin. When you give your life to Jesus, everything changed. You move out of the reign of sin and death. You move under this reign of grace with Jesus as your king. You might be thinking, if that's true, why am I still tempted by sin? If that's true, why do I still struggle deeply with sin? And I would just say today we're laying a foundation for where Paul's going. He's going to continue to unpack and give answers to that question, not only today, but throughout Romans chapter 6 and on into Romans chapter 7. But Paul's point here is that we've died to the rule of sin. The, the old life that was under this rule of sin and death is, is gone. Now we can walk in a new, new way of living in a new reign. So when I sin, it's really this, this reminder that I've forgotten what Jesus has done for me. I've forgotten that I don't have to walk in that anymore. When I sin, I've forgotten the fact that Jesus has always provided a way out. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, says, you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear, but God, he'll always provide a way out. Under this reign of sin, as we continue with, with sin and, 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 and faulty wiring our thinking, as we continue to live that out, we just need to know that, that this week, you won't face the temptation that God hasn't given you power by his Holy Spirit to overcome. Now, you can choose to say yes to that because sometimes we just think it's going to feel good. We think it's going to make us, this is going to be great. It looks very alluring. We still have a very real devil that's very, very appealing in the way that he tempts us. But whenever we succumb to sin, we need to know that, hey, I didn't have to do that. I didn't fall off the mountain. I'm still held by this scarlet cord of grace. I can get back up and start climbing again. And so how do we die to sin? That's a good question. But Romans 6, 3 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. When you hear that word baptized, you've been baptized into Christ, you've been baptized into his death. What type of baptism do you think of? Water. Yeah. Water baptism. That's what we think of because that's what we're most familiar with, right? We, we, like outside on the powder, we've seen, seen 21 people go public with their faith in water baptism in 2023 alone, right? Like it's past too much. It's awesome. It's awesome. And we celebrate that, right? 
Because every single one of those numbers has a name, and every single name has a story, and every story matters to God and speaks of his radical grace and his rescuing power. Some people say, why do you say 21? Like, are you all about the numbers? Well, in some ways, yes. In some ways, yes. I don't have about five kids. I have three kids. It's important for me to know how many kids I got because I'm responsible for them. Right? It's important for us to know how many people are taking next steps, how many people are, are on this spiritual journey with us. So we can care for them. We can, we can help them. Right? And if you're one of them, man, we're, we're still celebrating with you and want to help however we can. But, but the Bible talks about four different baptisms. There's four different types of baptisms when you read the New Testament. And so it's important whenever you see the word baptism to understand what type of baptism the Bible's talking about. Uh, the first baptism, if you're taking notes, this is where they begin. Four types of baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. The first baptism is a baptism of repentance. Baptism of repentance. So John the Baptist, he came doing this baptism, water baptism, but it was a baptism of, of repentance. We see this in Acts chapter 19, verse 4. Uh, Paul said, so, so here's the context of what, what Paul, we're about to read. Uh, these, Paul meets these disciples. He's talking to them, and, and he's like, hey, what, what type of baptism did you receive whenever you, you came to faith? And he's like, well, we received John's baptism. And he's asking if they've received the Holy Spirit. And they're like, we haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. What's up with that? And he's like, what baptism did you receive? We received John's baptism. And here's what Paul says. He says, since John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, he told the people to believe in the one who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So he's saying, hey, John's baptism was just preparing the way for the, the real baptism, the baptism of, of Jesus. So they get baptized uh, in water, in the name of Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, come up out of the water. Paul lays his hands on them, and they be, they're, they're filled. They're, they're filled with another baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they have all these spiritual gifts that they begin to express, and, and it's a cool thing. In Acts chapter 19, you can check it out. Uh, second baptism is water baptism, and that's the one we most often think of, water baptism. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you need to be baptized. And that's the clear teaching of Scripture. So if you're in the room and you're saying, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, uh, but I haven't been baptized in water since I believed. This is your best next step. Like you, nothing else is more important on your to-do list this week than getting, than getting baptized. And we'd love to connect with you and help you take that step. As Chris mentioned, there's cards in the seat back in front of you. Or you can text us, find us. We'll be happy to help however we can to help you take that next step. There's a lot of passages of Scripture we could look at for all these. But for sure this one. Uh, let's look at, at Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20. Uh, this is Jesus' final words to the disciples. It's known as the Great Commission. It's right before he ascends into heaven. His final words. So these, these words have a whole lot of weight, right? And here's what Jesus said. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Here's a good question. How do you know someone's a disciple? How do you know someone's like a follower of Jesus? Well, here's what Jesus says. He says, here's the first step. You have baptized them baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So whenever you, you, you watch a baptism, you're like, why do they say in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? But we just do it because Jesus said to do it. And he's the leader, so we're just trying to follow him. And a lot of people would say, man, I, I want to get baptized, but I don't, think I'm, I, I don't think I'm quite ready. I don't think I know enough yet. I don't know about getting my hair wet in public. Like I, there's a whole lot of reasons, right? And, and I would just say this, if that's you... And you know Jesus clearly teaches this is your first step. Then I would just encourage you to explore your heart and say, am I really following Jesus? Or am I made up a God that I just think is going to forgive me and give me what I want, but I don't really have to follow him? Because the first step in following Jesus is water baptism. And some people say, well, I don't think I know enough yet. Well, look what Jesus says. Yes, you're going to get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then... 
teaching them to obey. So not just teach them my word, but how does this practically, how do I apply this to my life? Right? That's the discipleship. That's what we do, right? And so, so it's not that you don't know enough. That's to come later. Like first step, get baptized. Then, then, then grow. Grow in your knowledge of, of God. And here's the promise as you practice the ways of Jesus, as you go public with your faith, as you learn more about his word, how to apply it to his life. Jesus makes this wonderful promise as we're on this disciple-making mission. Surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. I'll, I'll, be, I'll bless this effort as you strive to help people find and follow Jesus. This is water, water baptism. So if you made Jesus the leader in the forgiver of your life, this is your best next step. To say that, hey, God's the leader of my life, but I'm just not going to follow him in this, just doesn't compute really. That maybe he's not really the leader of your life. You just want to be the forgiver of your life. Just something to process and wrestle through. This would be, uh, and why wouldn't you want to identify with him in this way? I guess would be another question. He's done so much for you. His radical grace extended for you. He's laid down his life for you. Man, the least we could do is say, Jesus, whatever you want. Like, I'm in, I'm on. If it's water baptism, sure. That's an easy thing to do. And it's the central family, and they celebrate baptisms like none other, so it's awesome. So, so there's a baptism of repentance. There's a water baptism. The third baptism we see in Scripture is a spirit baptism or a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's look at this Luke 3.16. Uh, this is John the Baptist speaking. And they're saying, they come to John, they're like, hey, are you the Messiah? Like, are you the one we've been waiting for? And look at John's response. He says, I baptize you with water, but the one more powerful than, 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 than me is going to come. I'm not really like worthy to touch his sandals or untie them. But here's what you need to know. When he comes, he won't just baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And even as I say that, some of you, depending on your church background, you're like, I don't know. I think stuff's about to get weird in here. <laughs> and let me just say this. Just as water baptisms, what happens at your water baptism? You're submerged in water. That's what baptism means. Baptismo in the Greek, it means to dip, to dunk something. Like these jeans were once a different color, but they were baptized. They were submerged. And they came out changed. They came out different. And the Bible talks about a Holy Spirit baptism, that you can be submerged, your life can be dunked in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So you have God's presence, you have God's power dripping off your life, in your life, working through your life, impacting others in your life. And then can I just ask, why wouldn't you want that? The Bible talks about this is what Jesus will do. He will baptize you, not maybe, maybe not, not just for a select few. No, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's not just going to empower you. He's going to purify you. He's going to help you become the person he created you to be. This is a beautiful thing. So never, let me just say this. I'm on a soapbox here, but don't, let me just say this. Never allow our church tradition to filter the way we view scripture. Let's just allow God's word to speak. Where it speaks, we respond. Where it's silent, we're silent. But the Bible's emphatically clear. There's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, and I just, I pray you experience it. Because it'll change your life. And not just a one-time experience either. Unlike water baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something you continually experience. Ephesians 5.18 says this. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would suggest this is less of a passage on prohibition and more about... <laughs> 
a passage on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you get drunk on wine, what happens? Like, once you get drunk, are you drunk for the rest of your life? No. It wears off. And I would suggest the Holy Spirit's baptism is like that. We see in Acts chapter 1 that the apostles baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oh, we're not going there yet. We're, we're going to a, uh, yeah, I'm just on another rant. Um, <laughs> so it takes place in Acts 1, right? They're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in other tongues. They lead people to Jesus. The church is born. People are baptized. It's a beautiful thing. But then a couple of chapters later, what happens again? The apostles are again, they're in this place praying, seeking God, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit again. Only to let us know, unlike water baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something we continually experience. It's something we continually seek. You say, well, how do you seek that? Well, just go after Jesus, and he'll fill you with his spirit. This this word here, uh, be filled, in the original, it's continually be filled. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to seek the power and the presence of Jesus in your life. He's going to do amazing things in it. So Jesus, before he ascended into heaven... Again, final words carry a whole lot of weight. Acts chapter 1, 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Not a suggestion. Here's my command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised, which you heard me speak about. John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there's a baptism of repentance. There's a baptism of water. There's a baptism in the Holy Spirit And the fourth baptism is baptism into the body of Christ. A baptism in the body of Christ. This takes place. This is how we know we're justified. This is where we say, man, they they got saved today. They're they're baptized in the body of Christ. And this is a beautiful thing. And I believe this is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6.3. Here's Romans 6.3 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. So in other words, this is true for all believers. If you're a believer, you've been baptized into Christ Jesus. Here's another passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Uh, the body is a unit. Though it's made up of many parts and though all of its parts are many, we form one body. Look at this. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Right? And so Paul, in this context, he's talking about spiritual gifts. There's the gift of tongues. There's a gift of prophecy. There's a gift of, uh, of service. There's a gift of, uh, of encouragement. There's all kinds of spiritual gifts. And Paul's saying, like, like, just as the body is a unit, I'm one person with one body. But, but, but my ear is not more important than my toe. And my, my toe is not more important than my hand. Like, like if, if one part of the body suffers and is hurting, then, then, have you ever smashed your pinky? What do you think about? Do you think about your foot? No, because this part's suffering. So all attention goes to that part. And Paul's saying, so it is with Christ. One spiritual gift. My spiritual gift's not more important than your spiritual gift. But if we're going to be a healthy body of believers, it requires for me to develop my craft, my spiritual gift, what God's given me. And it requires you to develop your spiritual gift and deploy those spiritual gifts so we can fulfill God's mission for us as his, his church. But Paul says, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. He says it doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your pedigree, doesn't matter your, how much income you make, doesn't matter your posture of life, doesn't matter what your job is. All of us together as a central family, the central church, we got a role to play. And we're baptized into, into one body. All right, Romans 6.3. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, I believe that's the baptism Paul's talking about. You're, ba- you're saved, you're baptized into the body of Christ. Now Paul's going to point out three things for us that are true for every believer. Three things. Because it's true of Christ, he's going to say this is true of Christ, and because it's true of him, because you've been baptized into him, now this is true of you too. And this is fundamental for our understanding of of what God did for us at salvation. This is important for us to understand. And it's pretty straightforward from, from the text. Here it is. Three truths about Christ in you. Uh, first is this. Because he died, we died. Because he died, we died. Romans 6.3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he's saying at that moment, you're baptized in the body of Christ. You're, you're baptized into his his death. That's why you're free from this reign of sin. You're free from the original sin of Adam. Now you're under this reign of grace because that old man has died. Now this new man can live a different way of, of life. The moment you got saved, the old man was gone. Uh, Paul would say this, Colossians 3.3, 3, we, we've, we, we've we're in Christ, like, like we're in him. We're in him. We're seated with him. We're, our life is hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3.3 says. All right, uh, so this, this physically, does this, does this take place physically, I guess would be a good question. Or some people would say, well, how is that possible? Like, like, I would just suggest that's not experiential. I think this is spiritually speaking. This is true of you. And it's just, just a fact. Like, you, when he was buried, you were buried. When he died, you died. So the second one, whenever he was buried, we were buried. Uh, Romans 6, 4. Going to move quick to, I spent too much time in the soapbox. Um, because he was buried, we were buried. Romans 6, 4. Uh, because we were, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So Paul's saying, hey, when you were, he was buried, you were buried. Uh, when someone's buried, um, it's like the, it's kind of a, a final statement, right? Like you don't bury someone who like, they might pull through, you know, you just, you don't do that, right? Like, and so Paul's, again, what he's saying, what's our interaction with sin? He said, one, you've died to it. And not only that, but, it, but you've been, it's, you're buried, the old self is buried with it. Like it's, it's final, final. And so, so he's saying, you, you don't have to walk in that anymore. And this is, that's why water baptism is such a vivid such a beautiful, physical reminder of a spiritual reality that's taking place in the life of a believer. And so whenever uh, someone gets, gets saved, they start following Jesus, and we baptize them. We, we, we ask them the question, if you've watched water baptism, this is what we do. We say, hey, have you committed to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life? And they say, yeah, I have. And we say, that's a beautiful thing. So, so therefore, it's our pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because that's what Jesus said to do in Matthew chapter 8. Then we say this, you've been buried with Christ, right? And you've been raised to walk a new life. It's a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality that's already taken place in the life of a believer. I believe that. Some people believe that you're not really saved until you've been water baptized, until you identified with him in that way. They believe it's so closely connected that they don't separate the two. And they're... A lot of people believe that. They're a lot smarter than me. And so they might be right. I'm just saying that's, it's that big of a deal is what I'm saying. So if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Uh, third, uh, because he was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead. Because he was raised from the dead, we are raised from the dead. Look at it, Romans 6, 4. This is our final point. 
Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. I love that. Listen, because of what Jesus has done, the, you've been, your old self was, was died with him. Your old self was buried with him. And now you can rise up with him and you can live a different life. That's why Paul talks about, like, should we go on, because grace abounded, like, like, can we just go on sinning? He's saying, no, how's that possible? You died to it. It's a new you. It's a new day. Do you not know what Jesus has done for you? Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, I pray that, that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Like you've been raised, you've been given the Holy Spirit, the same spirit inside of you is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so what sin is too great for you to overcome? What hurt, what habit, what hang up is too great for the resurrection power of Jesus to heal, to mend, to make whole? Colossians 1.13, he was rescued He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Again, it's this image. We were under this reign, this regime of, of sin and death with Satan as our king. We were deceived by him. But we put our faith in Jesus. He's, he's rescued us from that dominion. He's brought us into a new, new reign of grace with Jesus Christ as our king. All that's yours because of what Jesus has done for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Resurrection power is yours. Like Easter is not just a one-time event on the calendar. We should experience resurrection power every day. Helping us. Bringing perspective. Helping us to practice the ways of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're in him. We're in him. What's true of him is true of you. We're in Christ. Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will. Now he may be, now we hope, he will. Give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. He will. He will. That's why death is never the final answer. Death doesn't have the final say. There's resurrection, temporary separation, very heartbreaking. No one knows that better than you guys. Heart-wrenching. But there's an eternal reunion where we will be raised from the dead. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. We'll never have to say goodbye again. And that's a beautiful reality. So this week, remember you're dead to sin. Remember the old self was buried with Christ. It's gone. That means you're free from that shame. You're free from the guilt. You're free from condemnation. Remember, you, you can, you have, you've been raised to walk a new way of living. Remember, you've been raised with Christ, no longer a slave to sin no longer under the reign of sin. Remember, you have the Spirit of God living in you. Remember, you will not face a temptation this week, but the Holy Spirit's power inside of you doesn't give you the strength to overcome. The choice is we can walk in that or we can choose not to. 
But remember the options are there. Remember you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. Remember, because of that reality this week, you can walk in newness of life. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for that reality.